We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm through. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are things? Oh, things are good. I'm almost out. Uh, next week is the week before the Christmas week off, and I already know I am so going to mail it in that week. I am just... I Every time I'm <laughs> going to go on vacation for a week, the week before, I'm like, I'm already in full vacation mode. I am just not interested in doing fuck all. See, that sounds smart, because the thing that I do is book myself for a ton of shit and then just crawl across the finish line and like emerge from an airplane just as a kind of a gelatinous mass vibrating with anxiety. And then like people just feed me and let me drink until I'm normal again. And then I go back home because the season's over by that point. That's very good. No, no, no. I, I enjoy half-assing it to the finish line because that's the American way. But lucky for you, this is not the half-assed week. It's the week before. Yeah, this is the, you're, you're fucking fired up right now. People I'm ready can't to, see it, but you've got, you got eye black on like Chris Hovan. You're all like right. just freaking out. I'm ready to, I'm ready to try. And as a treat for <laughs> you, Roth, we're going to talk baseball. I don't believe we're going to talk baseball in December, but we are because this week the Los Angeles Dodgers became the first major league baseball team to sign former Anaheimian league superstar Shohei Otani. <laughs> I mean, it's it's incredible. She's he's finally going to Major League Baseball. We're all very excited for Otani. How much do you no see? No posting fee there. Yeah, how much do you see the Otani signing as a prime chance to dramatically increase not just his own profile, but all of baseball's Roth into into Orange County? I don't know that that's a market that the Dodgers are ever going to be able to penetrate. It's a very strange place. Yes, uh, culturally, it's very foreign. I think that someone like you or I, if we were dropped off there, would struggle even to read the signs. What is a green burrito, we might ask? Yeah, because you're in California, but it's like yeah, it's like the conservative <laughs> part of like the Minneapolis suburbs, the way they act. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, it's uh it would be cool if they had upper midwestern accents there that that was like how you knew you had wandered into Orange County. They were just sort of uh No, it's what, you they with, have a, to... with a couple of long A's at the beginning of the word orange, but No, it's better uh, if they sound more disdainful. I'm yeah, really that's like. that's like a, a voice that you've really done some good work on. I imagine having teens in the house has helped you with that. My daughter, someone uh, in the comments last week said, oh, I know your daughter was a, grew up in the San Bernardino Valley. And I was like, yeah, because there was a time, like it was a couple years ago, where she really had a strong teen accent. So she'd be like, she'd be like, are we having pizza for dinner? I would be like, yeah. And she'd be like, <laughs> and ever since then, every time. Every time she doesn't do that anymore, but every time I, I imitate her, I'm like, that's good. I like the idea of there being a teen accent that just transcends any geographic boundary, that it's a way of talking that connotes like a boredom that is nearly to the point of falling asleep. Oh, yeah. But that is like universal across like it's just like the demographic uh, expands beyond any other like legible line. She was so strong with that sophomore year. I was like, I want pizza. Like, it was it was great. And it was just like, you do this. I'll do that. I don't like that. <laughs> it's clearly anyway, seared itself into your consciousness. Anyway, got, what were we talking about? We were yeah, talking about, we got uh, so off track. I don't even San, know. San oh, Fernando base, Valley? Baseball, the, uh, the Otani guy. He. Uh, oh, yeah, right. Uh, so I'll take, pe I'll take people inside, uh, inside our process here because Drew and I just worked a Sunday shift together. The Distraction Boys got yeah, together on the blog. Yeah, on the weekend. What a load of shit. It sucks. Don't they know and who I we are? I hate working. So that was really, that's what I said initially, um, you know, when I volunteered for it, uh, I was like, are you sure that you want me to do this? Aren't I too valuable to risk on the website 
when yeah. there might not be as many people reading. And I was uh, put on a performance improvement plan instantly after saying that. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the thing that I well, so the part about the Otani bit, I wrote about him. That was my blog that morning. He signed on Saturday afternoon, Drew, um, whose process I was in awe of. He had like three blogs just waiting to be read in the content management system before 11 in the morning. Uh, was like, yeah, I'm going to do the, the Anaheimian joke that he just made. He's like, I think I'll just do that. And I was like, I think I should, I think I should write something more detailed about like the biggest free agent signing of the last 15 years or whatever. And then, of course, I did it my way. It's the biggest free agent signing in history. I mean, it is the biggest free agent signing in history in absolute terms. I don't want to have to get into deferred money. We're going to have to get into deferred money. We are, yes, we, it's, I it's, do want to talk about that, actually. And Otani is different, too. I mean, he's just like, it's not the same thing as any other baseball player. He's cooler well, right. and that's, more globally that's, famous. And That's the thing that I think I, I, I want to get at just in the sort of the casual, you know, on the casual level where... This is a guy, and we've all made the joke, he, you know, he was stuck in Anaheim playing for the Los Angeles Angels. So, I mean, essentially oh, a big a big market team that has won a World Series in its past. And he was playing with a fellow all-timer in Mike Trout. And it was if they were playing in on the fucking moon. Like, it didn't seem like Major League Baseball was getting any juice out of their, uh, not just their, their statistical accomplishments, and of course, Otani's remarkable uh, ability to be a two-way player, which is unprecedented for the past century, but also their their charisma, uh, particularly Otani's, because he he's a fucking cool dude. So, yeah. uh, will they be able to actually finally, you know, get some lemon out of this, or get some lemonade out of this, get some get some milk out of this milk milk yeah. out of the lemons? Yes, yeah, I, agree. We'll get, I understand. Will they be able to get some milk aid out of the lemon? Let's hope, because yeah. that sounds. Uh, very risky to drink, actually, now the more I think of it. the But the thing with, with Otani that is amazing, all of that is true. I mean, the Angels haven't sniffed the playoffs in the six years he was there. But he still makes tens of millions of dollars in endorsements every year just because he's fucking Shohei Otani. Like, nobody's... He's like if Babe Ruth had the aesthetics of, uh, like, a hot teen star that people made fan cams about. Like, it is <laughs> unprecedented to be as cool as Shohei Otani is in any sport. Right. And to do all that in a place that, like, as you said, is like, I mean, they're like a real baseball team, you know, but they don't act like one and they're not as interesting as any other team. Like, they're just kind of the plaything of a weird, sour Southern California guy. Um, and yeah, they're, they're dreary to go from that to the Dodgers, which is a team that, like, you know, has been not just like the sort of the glamour franchise in the sport. Like they have been on an incredible run of success. They're in the playoffs every year. They've won a hundred games in five of the last six seasons. They've won their division 10 of the last 11 seasons. They were like one of the most dominant teams in basically in the history of baseball. They also haven't right. won a world series except for in the sort of Mickey mouse 2020 season, which was like nice yeah, and everything like that. I kind of don't, but it was like that. one of their starters had like a positive COVID test that day. Like it was still grim. Like it was not the world series. That's right. Yeah. That's like Justin the... Turner was supposed to be in the germ chamber and he was like, fuck that. And he came out looking like Dr. Teeth. <laughs> yeah. And then they all group hugged after they won the title. Yeah. And they were like, oh, man, I don't know. Modeling responsible behaviors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they, like, that is where he should be, you know, yes. like, I mean, anywhere would have worked. I think Toronto would have worked. He came very close uh, to being there. Apologies to all our Canadian listeners for saying the second T in Toronto didn't mean to uh, disparage your culture there. The 
overall though, like I think the experience of him as a player, like has, I think not been dampened as much by the Anaheim thing as you might've thought. I don't think it was his plan. He just wanted to go someplace warm where he could DH and pitch and there wasn't DH in the national league yet when he signed, but it adds a kind of a weird, uh, tragic arc to his career that otherwise shouldn't be there because except for getting injured a couple of times, he's really just been pretty fucking great from the start. Right. But at this point, it's like even a casual fan can look at him and be like, oh, great. He got out of the fucking purgatory and can go like put on a cooler hat and compete for the World Series title every year, which is nice. Well, I think that's I think that's like 99% of it. If the Angels were in the World Series every year that he was there, we wouldn't be having this discussion, right? Like yeah. in in order to raise his profile, there has to be postseason accomplishments. And that's I mean, that's I think feel like that's true across all of baseball. But um it's particularly acute in this instance because we're talking about some guy who should be right now the most famous and beloved athlete in America. Like yeah, by orders of magnitude, by a the lot. The fact that he's as close to it as it is when he's been playing with fucking like David Fletcher and Chase Anderson for so long is pretty amazing. Yeah, like more people should know who this guy is than like who Ben Simmons is, and they don't. And I yes, that that seems like a karmic wrong. So it feels Speaking like of guys that have strange, unexpected, tragic twists to their career. But yes, no, it's a different, uh, different animal for sure. I agree. I'd also be concerned if the Dodgers like suddenly didn't win their division this year. And people are like, hmm, well. <laughs> what is wrong with Shohei? Turns out it wasn't the Angels that were the problem. Huh? He's a little bit of a prima donna. He's a little bit of a clubhouse lawyer. The idea that of the, all of that is so implausible where he's concerned too, which is funny. Like even down to the contract thing that there's a, some elements of trying to gig the competitive balance tax. I understand that. I think it's in poor taste, but it's totally legal. The thing with Otani getting $2 million a year is like, first of all, sorry. Like, I'd be so sad if I only got $2 million uh, over the next 10 years per annum. Well, wait, we should we should give everyone the background just in case right. they are they are new to this because Otani was given a $700 million contract, the largest uh, pure dollar figure uh, in North American sports history. However, he agreed with the Dodgers to defer $680 million of that contract in what we will call the extreme bonilla. And, <laughs> and what that does is, of course, it gives him less money in present-day dollars. He gives, uh, like you said, $2 million a year in salary. The rest is going to be deferred. But it also, it benefits the Dodgers from baseball's competitive balance tax, or CBT, which is essentially a luxury tax, correct? So instead of having $70 million a year count towards that balance tax, it's something in, in the realm of like $45 million. Isn't that correct? That is correct. And I think okay. that like it is apparently was done at Otani's urging, the idea being that uh, after six years of being surrounded with like whatever the Angels could sort of catch in casting their unbaited hook out into some fetid waters in free agency that just basically he would have to defer something just given the amount of money that the Dodgers are already paying to Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, right. both of whom also have deferrals in their contracts, significant, but not as significant as this. Like just to keep guys as they like go through arbitration, they would need that space without paying the tax. But also, like, Otani apparently, like, is not a guy that, like, wants to have fancy things. You can buy a lot of fancy things with $2 million a year, but, like, he's, like, a all he cares about is baseball, as far as anybody can tell. That he's got that sort of, like, 
weird big kid sort of thing where he like eats the same meals every day. And that is, uh, you know, again, like it's a valuable thing. I'm sure that any of us would be able to squeak by on $2 million a year as needed. But in this case, putting the team in a position where they can, in this case, add pitching, which they need badly, especially because he's not going to pitch next year. Right. My mom, my mom sent me a caddy text about that. She was like, yeah. she's like, that's a lot of money because he's not going to pitch. I was like, well, I didn't. I was one of those texts from my mom that I don't actually text back. <laughs> yeah. You're like, sort of like, you're being very rude to my friend Shoei Otani right now, mom. I don't think you have no idea how bad you look. Right, right, right. Yeah. The, uh, he, he will pitch eventually, but it's, it's tough. This is his second UCL surgery that he's rehabbing from right now. He's 29. Players have come back from that sometimes very effectively, but like, you know, over the course of 10 years, by the time we get to the end of this contract, he'll be a type of player that we don't know anything about yet. Also, like, who knows where the fucking world is going to be in 10 years? That, like, <laughs> right. Will there be money? Yeah, like the last two years of his contract, he's getting paid in like water by a Morton Joe who has taken over uh, ownership of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And like, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be sad. I probably wouldn't be able to watch the games on TV uh, because I'd be a blood bag. But you know, right, right. One day, good luck. I mean, fingers crossed. On, hey, that's on the that. that's the dream right there. Because it's I mean, it's well, decent so, pay and no work. There's there's two things I want to talk about in terms of his deferral. First is that you were sort of hinting at what is already happening, which are you know we're getting the oh what a good teammate uh, Otani is for deferring his salary yeah. so that the Dodgers can be competitive. We're gonna get a lot of that shit. Um, but the other thing is that you know I. You know, when the Dodgers uh, announced this deferral, it was reported by The Athletic, I should note, uh, our our good friend Lindsay Adler was like, oh, you might think that there is something in the collective bargaining agreement that would prevent something like this from happening. Quite the contrary. that There is a clause in the CBA that says that deferrals are essentially limitless. Um, so I want to ask you, does that mean that the competitive balance tax is a joke? Should this uh, clause exists? Is it kind of bullshit? Um, am I glad or should I be glad that there are teams like the Dodgers that are willing to say, fuck this shit? I mean, there's few teams that are willing to like really pay the tax on principle. Like the Mets did it last year and it looked really stupid. I don't think, you know, owners don't want to have this tax be the sort of thing that teams are cool with pay with paying, you know, that this is basically de facto salary cap for them and they want it to be treated like that. The Dodgers are kind of treating it like that. The bit with the deferrals, I think, is interesting. It is explicitly in, like you said, in the CBA that there's no limit to how much salary a, a player can defer. But right. last winter, the Padres were reportedly putting together an offer for Aaron Judge that would have surpassed in length and in, in terms of absolute money, it would have been more than what the Yankees were offering. And that deal was structured also to get around the competitive balance tax. But the deal there was that it would have been like a 14-year contract, which would have been shaped more or less the way you'd expect. It escalates, it peaks, and then it goes back down so that by the end of the contract, when you're paying Aaron Judge for his age 42 season or whatever, he's not getting paid what he was getting paid when he was 31. Right. Because he's, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to be playing baseball then. The league said that they would not allow that contract to go forward. That they apparently, like, communicated to the Padres that a contract that is structured that way, which is better for the player and worse for the team, would be against their rules. But this, if the Padres had done it 
this way. And if the, you know, I don't know that Aaron Judge really would have wanted to play there. Also, remembering what their roster looked like this year, I have no idea where they would have even put him. Like maybe just right. teach him to play first base or whatever. But that sort of like, this is the way that baseball ownership works in terms of like reinforcing <laughs> its own advantage outside of the, you know, the usual sort of locking the players out or doing the soft collusion stuff or any of the yeah, shit yeah, that, that yeah, we're yeah. sort of used to seeing. It's like they built this advantageous way into the CBA. It's not necessarily bad for the players, although it's the sort of thing where like it just gives the team an opportunity to save some money. If you put like 43 or 45 million dollars into a 5% CD and then you let it rock for 10 years, you're going to have 68 million dollars at the end of it. Right. That's a lot easier. That's like not the same thing as paying somebody 68 million dollars now. Right. And so that idea that like any of this is in some ways like advantaging anybody but the people <laughs> that don't want to pay any more than they have to to the players to me is not correct. Does it make the competitive balance tax a joke? I mean, I think it was already kind of a joke. I think it's going to be weird to see how teams try to get around this because I think there's also a, a unique bit of leverage that Shohei Otani has that other free agents don't. And I think that for a lot of guys getting the money when they can get it is still going to be the order of the hour. And that's still the sort of thing that like, that's always been the dynamic, you know, is that players, especially pitchers know that they don't really get that many years to get paid. And so that's where you see them like going for the highest average annual value over something like, you know, a 10 year deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll ask this of you. I know my answer, but if someone offered you a $700 million contract, but said, asked if we could defer, if they could defer $680 million of it for 10, 20 years, would you agree to that, Roth? Yeah, why not? I mean, I feel like it's different for a baseball player. I, if someone offered me a $700 million contract, I would say yes before they finished saying that. I would just be like, super. And then if it turns out at the end of it that what I need to do is like, like major crimes, I would be upset but i would also have already agreed to the contract the thing with a with a baseball player is that this is like otani is going to get just this money for the record yeah I, I, I just want to say for the record i would be like go fuck yourself give me my money i i would want my money now i would not i would not i would not defer my i would not defer my 680 million out of the goodness of my heart to be a team player like fuck you man oh i wouldn't I do it not my. for team reasons it's just the sort of thing where like if i'm getting two million dollars a year i don't necessarily need it the difference with Otani is that he's going to be getting that money when he can't play baseball anymore. That like physically, even he is going to be like, by the time he's 39 at the end of his contract is probably not going to sign another major league free agent deal. At that point, he starts getting paid the really big money when he's living in Japan and not paying California taxes on it, probably, or he's living in some other cornball tax haven in the United States. Or he's playing in Major League Soccer. We can't rule that or out. Or he's playing Major League Soccer. You can't rule that out. He could be with the, um, I don't know any of the teams there, the Miami Espadrilles. Is that a team? <laughs> so, the, <laughs> But I think that that, like, that sort of deferral, it makes a certain type of sense. I also feel like it's not going to become the expectation for players. Like, to the extent that you see guys like Betts or Freeman doing it, it's probably just got to do with wanting to pay less taxes. And like, as long as that works, like, I, I guess it's going to continue to work, but it's not the sort of thing where you're right to point out that the weird bit 
is that this is sort of being spun as like how much Otani wants to win. And I think that's probably real. I think he really does. But it is also like he's still trying to get $700 million. It's not the sort of thing where he's like, you know, what would really make me want to sign with your team is like supporting uh, efforts to end child hunger. Like he's still trying <laughs> to get the biggest number. He's a fucking baseball guy, you know? I I do think that uh, I know you said that these deferrals will not be exploited to the degree that they they have been for this contract. But I do think that other owners, I think it'll be like the tush push where, you know, like it's legal, but until someone actually like takes fullest advantage of it, uh, nobody really cares. But then when when one team or one player does, everyone else is like, well, hold on, for on, for on. This, uh, yeah. this isn't right. This is, this is, this is, this is cheating. Yeah, that's 100% the way that baseball owners work. I mean, that was the whole idea behind like instituting the highest level of the luxury tax was like Steve Cohen came in and he was like, I have a lot of money and I would really like to make this baseball team good. And all the other owners were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you do that? Why would you spend money on your baseball team? That's not what we do here. And so they basically like tried to make it as punitive as possible for anybody that would deign to do something like that. And in this case, I think that's going to be sort of the same deal that like this is this sort of works well for the owners. So they might not be as mad about it, but like they're not trying to set a precedent where like the next big free agent gets seven hundred and twenty million dollars, no matter what the deferrals are like. This is I think that it is probably pretty annoying to them. Yeah, uh, I think everything annoys them. Like, yeah, oh. that's their that's their secret. Oh, you, you called this post him. Uh, let's uh <laughs> Let's take a break, and we'll come back and we'll talk football. Before we cut to the break, though, are you lonely, sad, feeling depressed? Yes. Then why not what? treat yourself to Fat Dan's Butter Parfait Ice Cream with four sticks of rich, creamery <laughs> butter in every pint, plus a congealed butter core. Fat Dan's most popular flavor will put the mmm in your misery. Available only at Sunoco. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, it's Drew here to tell you that the holidays are upon us. That means food, friends, family, and cleaning. Our loved ones can be a bit messy, and more mess equals more waste. But not with Blue Land, because Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet. The idea is simple. Grab one of the beautiful Forever bottles, fill it with warm water, drop in the tablet, and get cleaning. Refills start at $2.25. And you don't have to buy a new plastic bottle every time you run out. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk so you never run out of the products that you use the most. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet cleaner to laundry tablets, all Blue Land products are made with ingredients that you can feel good about. And I've used them. I've used the laundry tablets and I've used the dishwasher tablets. I like them. They do a good job. Also, my wife's very allergy sensitive, so she likes all of these products because they are very clean. And Blue Land has a special offer for listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off of your first order by going to blueland.com slash distraction. You won't want to miss this. It's blueland.com slash distraction for 15% off. One more time, that's blueland.com slash distraction to get 15% off. We are also sponsored this week by Microdose. I myself use Microdose brand gummies to fall asleep most nights, and they have been an absolute game changer for my sleep. I try to do the right things when sleep is concerned, practice good sleep hygiene, do some exercise, don't do like too much dumb shit immediately before you go to bed. 
And yet, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and cannot shut my brain off or go back to sleep, no matter what I do. That is not a problem with Microdose. It contains the one and only balanced spectrum hemp extract, formulated to deliver the classic effects and benefits of THC, which you might be familiar with, in perfect balance with CBD, CBG, and therapeutic terpenes. If you want to know what those are, or text someone about what they do or who they're for, you can check out microdose.com. They're extremely valuable URL. Microdose gummies are made using the highest quality organic ingredients possible. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and infused with organ-grown berries. Specifically, their D9-THC gummy tastes like juicy strawberries, blueberries, and marionberries. The gummies are vegan, non-GMO, and have no gluten. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use distraction to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com code distraction for 30% off. We're back. It's just Roth and me and we, uh, we're, a little late to this because it's the next week, but uh, right before last weekend, a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Ty Dunn, published a three-part series on Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott, at his site, GoLongTD, that laid out in painstaking detail why McDermott is the reason these Bills haven't won a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. And I want to go over the choicest parts of the expose because they're just, they're so good. And they're- Yeah, I'm glad you're doing it. This didn't- work out timing wise and i think that this is the sort of thing where we need to get on the record vis-a-vis the sean mcdermott story it's important it's important so let's go with the the money one the one that already that went viral the instant ty published the second part of it and it's it's known as the 9-11 speech so right away (laughs) why do they call why do they call it that (laughs) right away we know we're in trouble so uh i'm gonna read the copy that uh that Ty wrote at St. John Fisher College in Pittsburgh, New York. McDermott's morning address began innocently enough. He told the entire team they needed to come together. But then, sources on hand say, he used a strange model, the terrorists on September 11, 2001. He cited the hijackers as a group of people who were able to all get on the same page to orchestrate attacks to perfection. (laughs) One by one, McDermott started asking specific players in the room questions. What tactic do you think they used to come together? A young young player tried to methodically answer, what do you think their biggest obstacle was, he asked. A veteran answered, TSA, which mercifully lightened (laughs) the mood. I am just... I remember... We had Ty on the show, and off the record, he's like, oh, I got McDermott stories, because he lives in New York, and so he, he lives in Buffalo, and so he he knows that team extremely well. And so it's just so nice to that he finally put it all together, and like it's like everything, every bad thing I assumed about Sean McDermott, like the camo hats and just yep. never smiling and just a clueless jackass who tenses up in the wrong moments, all completely true. All, not just true. completely true. He somehow over delivered on this because when you have, when you tell people like I've got some stories about an NFL head coach, there's a part of me that's like, oh, it, is he an asshole in private? Is he high handed with people? Like, should we invite Bella Hadid? There's only so much here, you know, that ordinarily functions as the ceiling for this story. And in this case, it's like, no, he repeatedly tells stories. There's the other bit in there that I mean, the nine eleven thing. <laughs> I want to be clear. Let me be clear. (laughs) 
That is the best instance of football brain that not only that I have ever encountered, I don't know how you would improve upon it. It is almost impossible for me to imagine a funnier thing for a football coach to do. And I thought like that we were, it was like three weeks ago that we talked about Jim Harbaugh listening to the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald to get fucking geeked up to go quarterback the Colts or whatever. That's just a this shitty is, song. It's just, it's just a silly song, and it's Jim Harbaugh's brain. Right. This is unreal. There's another bit in there that involves, uh, and I'm forgive me if I'm stepping on your your line here, where it's uh, Tyler quotes McDermott telling the team the story about a woman who had driven into the, she was attempting to take her own life, I guess, had driven into the river above Niagara Falls, and he was talking about the Coast Guard trying to rescue her, and it's, yes. you know, all their efforts. And then the story just ends. He's like, oh, yeah, she died. She did drown, though. <laughs> and everybody yeah. just... <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was... Is, that one almost... I almost like that story better because it's like... I, t- I told you, it's it's like it's like a Dave McKenna story. Yeah. Using a Dave McKenna story of fire, like, oh, he was a great guy. He's a great guy. Died of heroin addiction at 36. And Very uh, no sad. one went to his funeral. But Good great dude. guy. Partied hard. Yeah. <laughs> so in this case, it, this has like also that like David Brent aspect of it too, where it's like you start telling this story with like leadership in mind. You have no idea how you're going to end it. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh boy, like I don't think I've got a redemptive note to wrap this shit up with. It also reminded me, and it's 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 actually... Sean McDermott doesn't deserve this, but it reminds me of the hat story in Miller's Crossing where uh, Tommy Reagan's telling Verna, like, oh, I had a dream, I lost my hat. And she's like, and you tried to reach it and and it was, and you, you thought you wouldn't be able to get it, but then you you picked it up off the ground and and when you picked it up, it wasn't a hat anymore. It was something wonderful. And and, and Gabriel Byrne's like, now, nah, stay the hat. I ain't going chasing after it like a fucking loser. Fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> But that is too cool to equate to fucking Sean McDermott. Yeah, I was going to say, you're doing, uh, comparing him to Gabriel Byrne when you should be compared to uh, the main character in the Pixar film Megamind, which is really more what Sean McDermott has always looked like to me. This, I think that the bit that I want to say on with this, just briefly, is, so the thing that emerges throughout the story is that McDermott very much like wants to be the alpha football coach dude but he is prone to panic and he is very, very weird, even by the standards of NFL head coaches. And so the way that he keeps tripping himself up all through it is that he's trying to do it's like an imitation of an imitation, right? Like it doesn't seem like he comes by a lot of this stuff earnestly. And I think that that's like the difference. Even coaches that haven't really won shit in a while that like I don't think that Mike Tomlin is ever not like Mike Tomlin. I think he's just like that, you know, yeah, that this is like that's a why guy he's good. That, it's why he's good. He's a fucking intense dude who cares about the shit that he really cares about. I don't doubt McDermott's intensity or his commitment. I think he's too weird and he's like kind of chasing an idea instead of like inhabiting like authentically uh, whatever weird way of being a football coach has. And so you wind up with stuff like this where like encouraging your special teamers to put themselves in the shoes of Mohammed Atta on 9-11-2001 is so deranged that I don't think you could get there through any process other than trying to find like a new angle on the oldest motivational thing in the world. I want you men to fly into that offensive line. I want you to bring it <laughs> down 
to the ground. I'm going to talk to you about another guy that people thought was a clown, but it turned out he got great results. How many of you in this room know who John Wayne Gacy is? Right, yeah. And that determined young man, that's right, Adam Lanza. That's like, oh, Jesus. like, come on, man. Like, you can find, there's like, Go to Patton, like every other NFL coach does. It's yeah. really not that hard. Just like to make the speech, get a big American flag, some about some some pot of goo. You're yeah, to, like have, make them watch 127 hours or something like that. It's not that hard to to, to find positive reinforcement of determination rather <laughs> than the absolute word. Like, like to say, like, well, Osama bin Laden, say what you will. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, he Come literally on. did the gotta hand it to ISIS thing. Yep. Because yep. he was trying to get him to like focus up for a game against the Dolphins. And, you know, like Ty himself, like he has football brain. Like he played football. Like he is very into yeah. football guy mentality. And the book but, that he wrote that he was promoting on here was basically like about tight ends. Like he basically he found like the derpiest alpha position in sports and was just wrote 300, you know, yeah. probably very entertaining pages about that. But even like, even Ty, like the whole thrust of his thing was like, listen, this is a player's league and you have to trust your players to be good. And, you know, you prepare them, but like a coach ultimately, the coach's job is ultimately to serve the players, not the other way around. Like that's how yeah. good modern coaches work. And Sean McDermott isn't like that. And he tries to micromanage everything, including Josh Allen to the point of, of a fault. He doesn't let, he doesn't let Josh Allen, frankly, cook. And that's bad and that's why like nobody in the offense really likes him and that's why he's also um you know nobody in the offense likes him because he's always taking the side of his own defense which sucks and is super injured and won't and ever... which he's also meddled in too i mean he just can't keep his fucking fingers off of well that's the other thing well i want to do one more mcdermott story and then i want to do actually a rex ryan story that that ty had from here so if we go back to the 13 seconds fiasco it was the uh, divisional game against the chiefs and the bills were going to win the game all they had to do uh, was squib the ball on the kickoff when they had the lead and let the clock run out because there's only 13 seconds left on the clock. So uh, there's 13 seconds left on the clock. Special teams coach Heath Farwell approaches Sean McDermott. This is all according to Ty Dunn to 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 get approval to kick a, uh, a, a squib kick that'll run more time off the clock. And McDermott told Farwell he wanted to kick it deep and they went back and forth and argued about it on the sideline. Well, while they were doing that, Kicker Tyler Bass heard kick it deep, but the other 10 guys on the kickoff team heard squib because that's what the coordinator called in the huddle. So one assistant coach, this is all, again, according to Dunn, remembers McDermott saying in the locker room after that that the offense scored too fast and left the Chiefs too much time on the clock. So he blamed the offense. 13 leaving, seconds, by the way. 13, 13 seconds was too much time. Fucking seconds. And then in the 13 seconds... There were, it was basically, it was just two long pass plays that the Chiefs completed, so they were able to ha uh, kick the game-winning field goal. And Leslie Frazier was the one who took the fall for that, but uh, Dunn reported that McDermott took away play calling from Frazier in those final two plays and never admitted it to the public. So essentially, everyone bagged on Leslie Frazier for choking that game away. Frazier coached one more year after that and then has taken this year off. and clearly because he does not like McDermott and does not trust McDermott. And that's the other thing here is that 
not only is he, not only is McDermott meddling in this team where he really, truly does not need to, but also he is bleeding assistant coaches like fucking crazy, like as if the team is only winning three games a year. Like it's ha- it's that kind of exodus because yeah. Heath Farwell's gone. You know, he fired Ken Dorsey and someone told Ty Dunn, hey, look out, he's going to be the fall guy if shit goes sideways this year, which is what exactly what happened. We don't need to talk about Brian Dable, but it is the sort of thing where it, all of it, it, he's the thing that is the through line through that too is that refusal to take responsibility for stuff. And that's yeah. where, again, you want to say good coaches do. I guess that some coaches do. I think also like Bill Belichick doesn't really take responsibility for shit. Like that's not really like there are guys where it's just not, they don't feel compelled to answer for the shit that they do. But that's One Belichick. It's different. Belichick is. It is. And I think that's like where thing. you draw the distinction. Like he doesn't feel compelled to answer any question or respond to anybody. Like that's just not. And it, I mean, it was never true. At this point, it is like less true than it has ever been. I think that you get more slack from your players if they are, if they have full confidence that you know what you're doing, you know? And there's mm-hmm. never. And this is not true this year. Perhaps it's not true last year, but essentially throughout uh, Belichick's entire tenure in New England, that's never been a problem. Everyone who has played for the Patriots has been like, this guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. If we listen to him, we will win. Sean McDermott hasn't won fuck all and continues not to win fuck all because his players are like, I don't buy what this guy is doing because he's not consistent. He's He's not just doing the basic press conference shit of taking the fall and being like, well, it starts with me. Like every coach says yep. that it's fucking easy, right? Yeah. You're it's not even, shit on anyway if you it. lose. Right. Yeah. You don't but have that's, to mean it. But it is the sort of thing where like, I think a little bit of that, like for one thing, it diffuses this thing right away. I mean, that's like, you just give the most anodyne quote you can. Everybody fucking puts it in the paper. And like, as you read it, you're forgetting that anybody ever said it like it starts with me. It's like it's boring by design like that. Yeah. McDermott has always been weirder than that. He's combative, but also evasive, which is like not a good combination necessarily. It does. It comes to in the in the story. The players are like, I don't doubt that he's committed, that he really wants to win. I think they feel like he's out over his skis, like he doesn't really know how to either trust his assistants or like what it is that he's supposed to do. And that's. That's a hard thing to come back from. I mean, like you can be like a lazy person can get more motivated, I think. Uh, I would like, obviously, I I live in that belief every single day. But there is an element of this where it's like an inauthentic or irresponsible coach is going to have a harder time turning that particular dial just because it's like they're they're clearly coming at it from this position of insecurity. Yeah, because the other thing uh, that... Like we keep belaboring it. It's only because it's also juicy. But I remember another thing that that was in there was about how McDermott would say in press conferences that he, you know, he's at the office all night and and you know he's burning the midnight oil. You know, all the standard Gruden-esque shit. You know, working hundred hour weeks and all that stuff. And all the other assistants were like, "This guy's out of here by fucking six p.m. every night. What? We're the ones <laughs> who are who are there the whole time. Like this is bullshit. So it's like you do have to like you do have to hold up your end of the, of the bargain as a head coach, like. Players have to know that you're you're as miserable as they are, 
And yeah. then they're like, okay, all right, all right. He's putting in the work. All right, one last thing before we talk about Tommy DeVito. Uh, this oh, is really? one last thing from, and this is not about Sean McDermott. This is about Rex Ryan. And it was a source that told Ty Dunn, Rex was retired from the job when he was working with the Bills. Those guys were drinking beer by 4 p.m. every day during training camp and just partying. It was a shit show. The moment that broke that Bills team was when Rex and a batch of assistants rented a bus to attend a World Series game in Cleveland, three hours away during a game week. I love that was oh. again. I love it when coaches live up to every stereotype at my brain. Coaches used to be like that. I feel like that there was a lot of guys that. I mean, there probably are still some like leisure dudes or people with like the Steve Mariucci mindset, where it's just basically trying to play golf every single day that you can. But the idea of like, I feel like in the skanky NFL of our youth. It was like, I'm remembering Wayne Fonts eating a hot dog on the sidelines. I don't think that really happened, but it is like, that is in my mind's eye. I think there were more well, people. Switzer, that, Switzer did it during the Pro Bowl. And yeah. there were takes about, or like, how dare he, <laughs> how dare he violate the, the sanctity Bowl. of the Pro Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> a game so shitty, it no longer exists. Like, how, how yeah. dare he do that? And also, there were stories about Switzer just not really giving a fuck and, and partying all the time. There are... And this is something that that I've 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 wanted to investigate. I have not been able to do it, but uh, alcoholism in the coaching ranks is rampant. Like yeah. so many alcoholics in the sport, and it's not just like I think Steve Sarkeesian, who's head coach of Texas now, was sort of like the, the most glaring example. But it was only because he showed up drunk at a press conference and was essentially fired from USC for alcoholism. Yeah, but like the. The alcoholism that runs through the coaching ranks now, and I remember hearing it about guys like Mike Zimmer and stuff like that, it wasn't it wasn't good time alcoholism, right? right. No, because it's a very stressful job. It is like, yeah, the idea of like showing up all like still partying at a press conference or something, it's like obviously you shouldn't do that either. But yeah, like these are this is like lonely solo office yeah. drinking. It feels this like. is drunk alone in the hotel room alcoholism. Like this is like serious. Like this is like not the party alcoholism. It's like, and for the record, there's clearly good alcoholism and bad alcoholism. There's that's enough. Know. All right, on to Tommy DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, speaking, speaking of good times, Tommy DeVito, oh, who is now my favorite player because he came back and beat the Packers on Monday Night Football. How acute is your Tommy DeVito, DeVito fever, Roth? Tell me on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being John Travolta as Gotti and 10 being Marlon Brando as Don Corleone. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm somewhere in um, kind of like... You know the scene in Casino where Joe Pesci uh, is describing milk-fed veal to a showgirl that he's trying to get to give him a blowjob? I'm in like I know, that. I know every space, scene in Casino, sir. So. It's pure white. Yeah, that, uh, like, DeVito is not good, exactly, but I am enjoying the the ride, even though he himself is, like, kind of, like, I grew up around a lot of people like Tommy DeVito, like, in the sense that he is an Italian person from North Jersey, and my parents almost sent me to Don Bosco prep when I got caught shoplifting in eighth grade. They threatened me with that. Uh, the other thing, though, is that, like, he's just not a very, like, interesting guy. He is clearly coachable, and the team is, like, more fun to watch than I would have expected. The Red and the general won three in a row. They went three in a row. They beat the Packers in a way that was, like, it involves some some bad mistakes, like a weird fumble by Saquon Barkley late in the game that I didn't actually think was a fumble, but it was like they tried to blow it and didn't. And the way that they won it was like 
authentically impressive. The Packers don't suck. Like they're not great, but that's a that's a really really good win for a yeah. Monday night. The thing that I'm and this is like sort of where I feel like I owe some sort of apology to Brian Dable. Like I thought last year the Giants were fun. They weren't quite that good, but you know, won a playoff game. We don't need to talk about that. They did a lot better and they were a lot more enjoyable to watch than I remember them being even in the Super Bowl years. Like they were just kind of looser and more creative. They had life. He was like, that's a lifeless franchise. That was been a lifeless franchise basically for the better part of a decade. By design. That's the culture. I mean, that is really like, it seems like what they have been going for. (laughs) Right. Like even the uniforms are stayed, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Like in some ways that, the idea of like just a literal local boy making good is like part of it. But a lot of what makes them sort of like passable to watch is like, it's the same old giants shit. It's just like the fun part is that stuff is happening that isn't supposed to happen. And I feel like in the past, the giants have deferred again, like institutionally, this comes from like the owner suite on down to making sure that everything that is supposed to happen happens. Even, you know, if they are going to go six and 10 or now would be six and 11, which they, it really seemed for the longest time, like they were trying to do, they were trying to get there, like in the most stayed conservative traditional possible way and you can't make that choice once you're down to just like who is the tallest italian man near the stadium can he quarterback this team right now like you have to be willing to do weird shit and they're doing it yeah undrafted and he's thrown five touchdowns and no picks in the last three games all of them wins he's done the madone uh, Madone hands symbol and like his dad does it in the stands and his dad looks like big pussy so it's like oh my god and we gotta talk about the agent because yes. the agent looks exactly like you would hope and expect Tommy Vito's agent to look like Roth he's got the fedora he's got the black pinstripe suit he's got he's got the the turtleneck but also with the suit vest it's beautiful just a beautiful yeah. it's New Jersey from Distillate I know he's from Massachusetts this guy but I don't care no, he's he's doing some special work there. It's the level of um like North Jersey Italian excellence where you accidentally are dressed like a priest because you just put on all your best clothes at the same time. So you're sort of just it's a, a faintly ecumenical approach to uh being being an agent. He played in the arena league, he went to Marist, like he's like a real agent, and yet to see him, it does look like like, I don't know if you're familiar with the guy Kujin. He, like, eats Italian sandwiches in cars. He's one of those, like, YouTube guys. Is he did a, a YouTuber video. person? Yeah, I'm afraid so. He did a video with uh, Tommy DeVito where he was kind of trying to carry DeVito across the finish line. And DeVito was kind of like, I like all sandwiches. They're pretty good. You know, my mom makes me a sandwich sometimes when I'm hungry. Like, he just doesn't really have a lot to say. What, what an interesting guy. He's a real interesting guy. Uh, but, like... The agent looks like if you were to take like Kujin and run him through the like success guy filter on Instagram, like all those like business things where it's like Mr. Bean wearing a suit and it's like to get Lamborghini, no women, like those sort of like posts. (laughs) (laughs) This is like Stilato is like the success win version of Kujin, which is not a thought that I like um, or that I ever thought I would have. But, uh, you know, here we are. He looks like the kind of guy who would assault you if you said something mean about Frank Sinatra. That's yeah. what he looks like. He's a fucking legend. Yeah. No. Did so much. Yeah, he does have a kind of a like a faintly rat packy ring a ding ding energy to it, which is, you know, given the way that most agents totally. look now, like which is just basically like 
if you were to take the idea of Miami and then try to draw it, like it's good that this guy is like it's like a little bit of a different vibe. We had so I live in in the DC suburbs, very very staid DC suburb, but uh, it doesn't it's not there anymore. But in downtown, uh, in downtown Bethesda, there was a nightclub called the Yacht Club. For the record, we're not near any body of water. Like we're yeah, like the Potomac River is a few miles away, but you know, yachts don't hang out on that like all that often. It was called the Yacht Club, and it was like even though it was in Montgomery County, Maryland, it was like it somehow attracted an entire bridge and tunnel crowd. And <laughs> like and just driving for like four hours to go some, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like somehow, like it just like it was like a Goomba magnet for like like the you know, like the the 200 Goombas that live within a 15 mile radius. And like this guy looks like he dressed like he would show up for a, a night to get laid at the yacht club. That's what he I want to know like. more about about the yacht club now. Like just, I mean, I know it wasn't necessarily your scene, but the idea of going there and it's just, you know, the sort of fancy uh, cocktails and like veal parm sliders experience, but that help happening in the middle of like what is otherwise just uh, like polo shirt suburbs is kind of a appealing idea to me. Yeah. I mean, I would have gone. I was too busy eating Fat Dan's Butter Parfait ice cream. So. Mm. Well, that's got real rich creamery butter in it. Uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. This is Jeremiah. He says, without going into too much detail, in my job, we often receive emails from outside businesses as part of normal correspondence and requests. Basically, things along the line of, we're working with a mutual customer, John. Can we get details account about account XYZ? Most of these emails are coming from standard business accounts and appear as you would expect. But there are one or two people that email us and for whatever reason use Comic Sans as the font of choice <laughs> for their email. Am I right in assuming this is fairly unprofessional? Broth, have you ever gotten the random Comic Sans email? I haven't, but I know that those people are out there. My number one Comic Sans memory, uh, I don't know if you remember this, was when LeBron left the Cleveland Cavaliers their owner, Dan Gilbert, put out a really heated statement that was in Comic Sans. I cannot. It was like, integrity. How do we define integrity? And I'm like, you look like you're writing the specials outside of a whimsical bakery. Like, I can't take this seriously right now. He was, he was also a debt lord. Like, that's, that's yes. how he made his billions of dollars. I, I cannot look at comments. I can't even look at Comic Sans without thinking of Dan Gilbert being a fucking moron about LeBron yeah. leaving Cleveland. Yeah, talking about some things are more important than money. Like, by the way, I'm the founder of like a uh, Turbo Grift. It's called. Right. It's a way to cheat on your taxes. <laughs> it's like I sucks. always think that the people who send Comic Sans emails don't know that they've done it. Like something, some something gets fucked up in in the in the pipeline, and it changes what looked like a normal like Arial font or something like that that they were typing on. It yeah. makes a comic. I, I think that's me. I just don't want to believe that they purposely were like, you know what? Let me go to the trouble of finding Comic Sans in the Gmail font menu. It's not yeah, even like, in the Gmail font menu. I mean, to like troubleshoot it. Yeah, like downloading an app that right. lets you do it. It's like really, like I, I want to believe that it is possible that there are people out there that would do that. But I think this is more like you're correct. Like the way that every now and then there's a story about like during a, like during the height of the pandemic when there were a lot of like Zoom arraignments that like some local prosecutor's child would put like the kitty filter on the Zoom and they couldn't get it off and they'd just have to be like, well, I'm asking for the maximum sentence, you all know, and like, but just like with like heart eyes while they're doing that. I remember I, uh, I was 
pitching Point B as a TV show, and we got a meeting with Netflix. It was as close to getting a TV show produced as I would ever get. And it, the meeting took place on Google Meet because it was like L.A. does Zoom calls now ever since the pandemic. It's just easier for yeah. everybody. And I get on, and my uh, my name on the on the meet call was Big Daddy Drew. Nice. And everyone in the Netflix, uh, everyone on the Netflix side of the call started laughing, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and they're like, yeah. "No, we love it, we love it, we love it." And I I I got it passed off, but I was like, I didn't know how to change it, so it just says Drew McGarry, and it was. It I wouldn't was, necessarily know either. We've had a few calls in the past where you've jumped on as Family McGarry, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know." Oh yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know it. how I. I don't know how that happened either. But you know what? At least it was in a regular font, so that was good. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, small blessings. Also, it, that's a power move to me. You get on there with the Netflix people, and you're like, "Here's uh, what I used to call myself when I was writing a blog about football 14 years ago." You can like it or lump it. That's a flex to me. Well, that's the other thing is that when I give people uh, my my personal email, I can say it here on the podcast because it used to it used to be public. Uh, but like whenever like uh, like an insurance agent on the other end of the line is like and and what it, or like a, a doctor's office they're like what is your email and I say okay well it's Big Daddy Drew <laughs> and they start laughing I was like I know I know and and I was like I'm like it's a long story it's not a long story but I say it's a long story so I don't have to I was, tell yeah, the fucking story. Like, it is also funny because it's like anytime you see one of those email addresses that got picked or like, you know, or social media handles, whereas like before anybody had a thought that they would have to do business under that name. Yes. Which is 100% like this is just you goofing off in a cubicle. And now everybody's like kind of, you know, you're stuck. You're being like, I am actually a dad. Like I'm like a larger than average size guy and I do have children. But Right. You never expected to become a Twitter, Twitter superstar when you chose Iron Ball 69 like as your yep. handle. <laughs> you sort of feel like- it's just what kind of happened. You don't know. Yeah. I remember, I, remember I, I joked about this uh, ages ago. It, it, it doesn't matter anymore because Twitter is essentially dead and yeah. and it'll its user base is deteriorating but i i pointed out that it's so funny that like more and more athletes are coming into the league now but these are people who grew up you know after like twitter had been invented and their own names already got swiped so you get like you get guys who have like you know it's like it's like a heisman trophy winner but like his his handle is like jet propulsion 64020 and like, yep. like they can't actually have a normal twitter name because all the shit like like lamar jackson's is terrible it's lj era like eight or something like yep. that and it's just it's shitty of, it's like a classic like wide receiver thing where you sort of like can't catch 81 and i was like well i don't know who you are yep like you got a couple of names that you could have used yeah. Uh, one more uh, is from Adam. How much would an SEC football coach have to win and keep his job if he took a turn into being an outspoken liberal progressive? Is it even possible? Could you be a liberal SEC football coach? Outspoken. Roth and get away no. with it. I think there are, I mean, famously, this is like, I mean, whatever. This is where we need to draw a distinction between like being a committed progressive with progressive politics and like being a Democrat. You know, that like everybody sort of votes the same way. Yeah, I, I don't mean like Taylor the, Swift liberal. I mean like right. like DSA type liberal. Like I mean, I would I think that would be an amazing bit. I mean, that would have been the funniest possible thing. I mean, obviously what Jimbo Fisher did at Texas AM is the funniest possible thing you could have done at Texas AM. <laughs> but if you get hired at that institution and then instantly you're kind of like, you know what I think we should have is an income tax 
especially on like petroleum companies, you know, like a windfall profits tax. I don't know how the Aggies fan base feels about that, but sound off in the comments like that <laughs> would be an amazing bit. I think I think you could get away with it so long as you won games like Kirby Smart could do it. The thing is yep. that the I mean, second Saban, you start I think is like acknowledged as a Democrat, right? Like, isn't that more or less understood? I mean, if it's understood, it's not. You know, he ain't he ain't out there like he's he's not tattooing Black Lives Matter on his forehead or anything. No, shit, right? and he's, he's not, probably not voting. Like honestly, like any that's like time away from breaking down game tape. Like, he's, he's not like yeah, he's not the post game presser. Like I don't care about the game. I care about getting a ceasefire in Gaza. In Gaza. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> that's not happening. So I I think if you go undefeated and you win national championships. In the SEC, they'll forgive you because all they that's all they really give a fuck about. But if you start losing, you don't have a very long leash. You're not gonna yep. be that's you have given them more than enough rope to hang you. Uh, I do love the idea of somebody calling into Paul Feinbaum and being like, Coach has gone woke, Paul. <laughs> he ain't voting for nobody. He ain't voting for nobody, has no bills. That's he what they say about Barack Bernie Sanders. Obama. Renamed a post office. And they're like, you got to turn your radio down in the background, sir. He might be liking them Arabs. He might sound Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> there are guys like, like you're guys, guys like Harbaugh who like, who dabble occasionally in a progressive viewpoint where it's like, you know what? We should pay the players. But then like the next week, they'll, <laughs> they'll be yeah, like. Yeah, well, he's, he's one of those guys where it's like, if you let him keep talking, it's going to get crazy. Like if he was like, yeah, the players deserve their fair share. And you're like, all right, go on. Because, like, eventually this is going to be about... <laughs> yeah, because eventually he's just going to be like, well, look, we have to be the terrorists, and they have to be yeah, right. the World Trade <laughs> Center. All of us serve a cruel god. I think we all agree on that, right? Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector... Let's go to Defector.com and hit the subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-PANERA-0. We'll see you guys awesome. next week. See you, Roth. Bye. Bye. Bye.